Good morning. Uh, this Sunday is a special Sunday. What Sunday is this? Come on. Now, this is Palm Sunday. This is the day where we remember Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, right? Now, I wanted to just turn to your Bibles. Uh, you can see it on your screen. Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, right? Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, and we will just read from there, right? Now, as Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go, uh, go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say the Lord needs it and will return it soon. Verse 7. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it and he sat on it. Mary and uh, many in, in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession. And the peoples all around him were shouting, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in the highest heaven. Can you just imagine, okay, this, this raucous celebration that was taking place in the streets. It's, it's almost like Bursay, but this time it's, some, you know, it's for a good cause. They were celebrating, right? Uh, so there were hundreds and thousands of people on the street, and it was noisy. Now we're going to just look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 19. And reading from verse 39. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. But Jesus replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. You know, these Pharisees, the religious leaders, they are always, they've always been the party poopers of the day. All right? When everybody was celebrating, uh, they, they wanted to quell the celebration. <laughs> Why are they making so much noise? Who is this fellow that they should cheer him on? And they came to Jesus and said, if you really are who you say you are, you'll ask them to keep quiet. You don't need this. And Jesus says, even if they kept quiet, the stones and the rocks would cry out into cheers. Now this morning, I just want, to, want us to focus on just three different segments of people. Just three. Three different segments of people. First one, the servants in the story. The servants in the story. Now, there were two kinds of servants in the story. One were the followers. All right, the followers. The followers were the disciples. And the Bible tells us that Jesus gave them instructions to go into the nearby village and go and look for this colt. And Jesus gave them a set of instructions. And what the disciples did, what the followers did were, the followers went into the village and they looked for the colt. They looked for the 
donkey. And then the Bible says they found the donkey and then they, the donkey was tied up and they released the donkey. They released the colt. And then they brought the colt to Jesus. Now if you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus this morning, if you consider yourself to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, there are instructions from the Master on what we should do. The Bible tells us, the Master tells us, go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to disciple nations. And our business, if we are really followers of Jesus, would be to listen to the word of the Master. And we would go, and we would look for, in this in this sense, the donkey symbolized sinners, right? The lost. We would look for the lost. And they are all around us. They are around us, church. They are around us. We will look for the lost. And when we find the lost, we would recognize them to be people under bondage, people in chains. The Bible tells us that. And our business is to release them. Our business, because we have the authority to loosen those chains. Amen? We have that authority. The, the Lord has given us that authority. And so our business is to look for the lost to, uh, and to loosen their chains and then to bring them to Jesus. That's our business. Our business is not to make Christians. Please understand this. That's not our job. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. But our job is to look for the lost to, 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 to loosen their chains and bring them to Jesus. You would do that if you're a follower of Jesus. If you call yourself a servant, but you don't find yourself doing any of these things, then you probably belong to the second category of people. And I'm going to just tell you what that category is. The second category of people who are the servants in the story are not the followers, but the fans. You know what fans are? If you go to a football match, you'll see fans, right? You go to a hockey match, you'll see fans. Or a badminton match, you'll see fans. And you know, many fans are fair-weather followers. You know what are fair-weather followers? They only cheer you when you're doing well, all right? Many years ago, when Manchester United was doing well, there were so many Manchester United fans. And then suddenly they didn't do so well. And you find the Manchester United fans stop cheering, stop talking about their club, stop posting stuff. Suddenly the Liverpool fans came alive. For many years they were quiet, right? Same thing with badminton. If you've ever been to a badminton competitive match, you'll find people cheering somebody and when he starts making unforced errors, they will start jeering him. Stupid la, podo la, kayu la, you know? Those are fair-weathered followers. They are not the followers, they are the fans. And fans are like that. Sometimes they love you, sometimes they shun you. And there were those people there, the people who cheered Jesus. The same people who cheered Jesus as He came into Jerusalem, just one week later, will be shouting, crucify Him, crucify Him. This is the same people. They switch sides. 
They were not the followers. They were the fans. They were not just fair-weather followers. They were also delusional followers. They thought this Jesus is going to be somebody who will overthrow the Romans. They were deluded. Jesus never came for that. He wasn't a political messiah. He came to save people from their sins. That was what was prophesied over this child, even before he was born, that you would call him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Not from the Romans. Not from the tyranny of the empire. But from their sins. So these followers were deluded. Then later when they realized Jesus was captured by the Romans about and beaten, about to be crucified, they turned against him. They were not followers. They were fans. So they were not just fair-weather followers. They were not just delusional followers. They were also secret followers. There was a group of them who stood afar off watching the events. They didn't dare to come near for fear that people would, would recognize them as the followers, as the disciples. And so they'd rather stay far away where nobody notices them. They were the secret followers. Now listen, these are the people who did not want to declare their association with Jesus. Like Peter, when he was asked three times if he knew Jesus, he said, no, I don't know the man. This could be a reason why we don't go and look for the lost and loosen their chains and bring them to Jesus. This could be the reason because we don't want to be recognized as followers of Jesus. We don't want to be associated. We are afraid. We are scared. If you are a true follower, you would listen to Jesus' words. If you're a fan, then sometimes you draw near, sometimes you draw far off. And this morning, we need to look at ourselves and ask ourselves this question, what are we? Are we a follower? Are we a fan? Now, the second category of segment, the second segment of people, the category of people, would be the sinner in the story. Okay? The sinner in the story. Now, I told you that in this story, the donkey would symbolize the sinner, okay? The donkey. What do we know about the donkey? Listen, Jesus had a plan for it. He had a plan for it. Because the Bible tells us, he told the disciples, if anybody asks, you tell him, the master has need of it. So, Jesus had a plan for it. You know, Jesus, if you don't know Jesus this morning, I want you to know that God has a plan for your life. He does. He tells us in Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. So, it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're now sitting in the church building or you're following the service because you're a Christian or you're following the service because you want to know more about this faith uh, that we profess. I want you to know that God has a plan for your life. He had a plan for this donkey. 
right? He has a plan for your life. So the first thing we recognize is that Jesus had a plan for it. But the second thing is that the donkey was chosen. There would have been many, many donkeys, all right, in that place, in that village. Many donkeys. But Jesus told his disciples to look for a particular donkey. The donkey was chosen. And you know what? The reason why you are listening to this sermon this morning is because God has chosen you. I don't, this is not a coincidence. It, it's not that you happen to tune in this morning. But God has chosen you. John 15, 16 says this, You didn't choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. So we don't get to choose God. God chooses us. And then God leaves it to us to want to come to Him or not. So this donkey was chosen. You are chosen. The third thing we, we, we see is that when the disciples brought the donkey to Jesus, the disciples put their tunic, their cloak on the donkey. It wore new clothes. The donkey wore new clothes. Now this is what happens when we come to Jesus. The Bible tells us in Galatians 3.27, to all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. We become new people. We, have, we become new creation, the Bible tells us in Corinthians. We become new creation. It's almost like we put on new We take off the old clothes, we put on the new Put on the new clothes. So much so that we begin to look different. We behave different. We are different. We put on the new. Now the fourth thing we recognize when we look at the donkey is this. That Jesus sat on the donkey and as Jesus climbed onto the donkey to sit, he was raised up. And the donkey made Jesus more visible. The donkey made Jesus more visible. So as he came through the crowd, he wasn't lost in the crowd. People could see him riding on the donkey because he was elevated. He was elevated and so people's eyes were drawn to Jesus. All right? Their eyes were drawn to him. John chapter 12, verse 32 says this, And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. This is what we are supposed to do, church. We are not here to draw attention to ourselves. We are not here to draw attention to the church. We, we love our church. Yes, I love the church. Anthony, we love our church. We love our church. Certainly, we want people to come to church. We want people to get to... But more than that, we want people to get to know Jesus. We want, to, we, we want Jesus to be visible more than anything else. And the Bible tells us when we live our lives lifting Jesus up, not just by what we say, but how we live, Jesus himself says that when I'm lifted up, I will draw everyone to myself. As Jesus was lifted up and the donkey carried him through that crowd, everyone's attention began to get riveted to the Lord Jesus. They could see Him and they were just looking at Him. 
Now, the third segment of people is the saviour in the story. The saviour in the story. All right? He was Jesus. He had now sat on this donkey, and this donkey had, by the way, never been ridden before. It had never had a saddle put on his back. Right? It, it wasn't used to it. So they put the cloak and the tunic, which was less abrasive compared to a saddle. Jesus sat on the donkey, and the donkey didn't shake him off. The donkey carried him. And Jesus came into Jerusalem, and the crowds were, 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 were screaming, and the crowds were cheering, and the crowds were waving palm branches. They had laid their cloaks and their tunics on the road so that Jesus, the donkey, could walk on those clothes and the tunic. Now that's a sign of not just celebration, of, but that's a sign of welcoming a king, because that's exactly what they did with King Jehu in the Old Testament. People would put out their cloaks and their tunics on the ground, and King Jehu would come riding on, 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 on his donkey or a horse, and he would come into the, into the city. The, the, the animal would trod on the tunic. And this is what happened with Jesus. And they were cheering him. They were cheering him. It was a celebration. It was, it was a puggy party in many ways. It was a party on the streets. And so Jesus rode the donkey. And this was a fulfillment of prophecy. Because the Bible tells us in Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. A colt is a baby donkey. Yeah? So this was written by prophet Zechariah about 500 years before the incident took place. Very specific. Your king will ride into Jerusalem. Alright? He is victorious, so we call it the triumphant entry. He will be victorious, but he would be humble, riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt. So it was a fulfillment of prophecy. And then he rode from the Mount of Olives, from Bethany and Bethphage, from that direction. Now that's significant and I'll tell you why in a little while. Right? He came from that direction into Jerusalem. Now, that was his triumphal entry. One week before he died. It would be the last time Jesus would come in as he is. The next time he, do, he does, he will be torn, beaten, bruised, almost broken. He would be bleeding. He will be made to carry a cross. And he would come through those gates into Jerusalem that way. But you know something? I wanted to know this, and this is how I'm going to kind of like move a little bit from the focus of that triumphant entry to talk about the triumphant return. Jesus is going to come back. 
and he will come in again into Jerusalem. He is going to return. And this time the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 19 verse 11, Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. This is talking about Jesus. That Jesus is going to return. Now, his triumphant entry, okay, what we're talking about in that passage from Mark's Gospel, Jesus coming in, there's a contrast between his first triumphant entry and his second triumphant entry. There is a contrast. Let me tell you what the contrast is. Number one, you won't find this on your screen. I'm just going to say it so if you can write it down, that'll be great. Just pay attention, okay? Number one, Jesus rode on a donkey when he entered Jerusalem. But when he re-enters Jerusalem, listen, he will not ride on a donkey anymore. He will ride. He will be riding a white horse. Now, why? What's the difference? If you look at the scriptures, when a king rides a donkey into a city, it symbolizes peace. The king comes in peace. You read that in 1 Kings chapter 1, when Saul came into the city, he rode a donkey. Meaning to say he didn't come to wage war. He came with peace. He came in peace. So when Jesus rode that donkey into Jerusalem, basically he's saying, I come in peace. Or I come to bring peace. Right? But when you ride a horse, particularly a white horse into a city, it means that you bring war. Okay, listen carefully. Yeah? When the Romans would capture a city, then the emissaries, the people who are, you know, the high-level high officers, they would ride a chariot drawn by white horses into the city as a symbol that I am victorious. I've conquered you and I'm victorious. All right? And so now you are subject to me. But when Jesus rode that donkey, he's saying, I'm coming in peace. But one day, Jesus will return, and when he comes back, he will be riding a white horse. When he does, basically what he's saying is that, I have conquered. I am victorious. You are now subject to me. But this is what Jesus came to do on the cross, to defeat the devil once and for all. So Jesus will return, and this time he will return triumphant. Number two, when Jesus went into Jerusalem, he went alone. Yeah, there were people all around him, but basically he was alone. There were the, there, there were the fans, there were the followers, um, but he knew the followers who followed him now, the disciples, would in one week's time desert him. He knew all that. So basically he was facing his mission alone. When Jesus returns, when he comes back to earth, he will be coming with an army. You, read, you heard Pastor Daniel read from the scriptures that he will come with an army. And that army will comprise of angels and it will, be, and it will also comprise of the church. You and I will accompany Jesus back to earth. Isn't this exciting? I don't know about you. You're sitting down there and I hope you're excited. I hope something is stirring in your spirit to know that you are part of a conquering team. Hallelujah. 
You're part of a conquering team. The Bible says that the church is already victorious. We know we fight against flesh and blood. Uh, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. But listen, we are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from the position of victory. Hallelujah. Because we are already victorious. And one day we will return with Jesus. When he went into Jerusalem, he came as a sacrifice. He knew that in one week's time, he would be hanging on a cross just outside of Jerusalem. He knew that. He came as a sacrifice. But when Jesus returns, dear church, he will not come as a sacrifice anymore. He will come as a judge. He will come as a judge. No longer as a sacrifice. He has, sac he has been sacrificed once for all for the sins of mankind. And you and I can come to Him this morning and say, Lord, you died for me. I want you as my Savior. I receive you. You can do that. And then you can be like the donkey. You can be released of your past, released of your sin. And then as you come to Jesus, you'll be new clothes will be put on you and you take on a new man. That can happen to you right now. Because the next time Jesus comes, He will not come to save. He will come to judge. When Jesus came the first time and He rode into Jerusalem, He came to fair-weather fans. People who cheered Him then and then later turned their backs on Him. When He comes a second time, the Bible tells us He will come to be worshipped. The Bible says in those days, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what the scripture says. I'm not making this up. That means to say that everyone, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, whether you believe in Jesus or you don't believe in Jesus, you will kneel. You will bow and you will, give, and, and you will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the first time He came... To fair weather fans, the second time he will come and every knee will know who he is and they will bow and worship. The first time he came as the son of David. He came as the son of David. The children of the, the Israelites, the Jews, they revered King David. King David was the greatest king that ever lived. And Jesus came from the lineage of King David. And so they called him the son of of King David, right? The son of King David. Hail, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. But when he returns, he's not coming as the son of, the, of King David. He will come as the king of kings. He will come as the king of kings because David will bow before him. David will bow before him because David would know who he is. He is King Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. The first time Jesus came into Jerusalem, he came as a man. He came as a man who was about to go to the cross and bear the punishment of the sins of man. But when Jesus returned, he will come as God. He will come as God. 
and they will recognize him to be the second in the triune God, second person of the triune God. They will know who he is. He will not come as a man anymore. He would come as who he really is, the, the son of God. He would come as God. The first time Jesus came, he came as the Lamb of God. But when Jesus returns, church, he will come as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Hallelujah. He's not going to come as a meek lamb anymore. He has done that. He has gone to the cross. He has nailed our sins on the cross. Taken our punishment. He died. He was buried. He rose again to conquer death. That's why we focus on the death of death this Easter, this Resurrection Sunday. Because that's exactly what happened. It was there on the cross and at the empty tomb where the head of Satan was crushed once and for all. So he will no longer come as the Lamb of God. He will now come as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. The first time Jesus came for all men. Listen, this is important. The first time Jesus came for all men. The second time when he returns, he's coming to separate the goats from the sheep. He will come for his elect people. Those people who, has given, who have given their lives to him. The people who call themselves by his name. The people who follow him with all their heart, soul, strength and mind. Who love him. Who have a real genuine relationship to him. Who are committed to his cause. Jesus will return for a select group of people the second time. The first time he came for all. Now I, I think this is very significant church, really. We seem to sometimes lose sight of this. And so we go about our life business and, and we, 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 go to we go to office, we go to college, we go to schools, we, we, we engage with friends and, 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 and it doesn't even strike us that they are going to miss out on all of this. It doesn't even strike us that they are headed for a Christless eternity in hell. Because Jesus had, has already come for all. And the time is coming. And may I suggest this, the time is coming soon that Jesus will return, and this time for his elect. Not for all. And so now we come to the wrap-up. The question we need to ask ourselves is this. Now, listening to this sermon this morning, the question that comes to us is, so what? Okay, I heard this. I heard this now. So what? So what? And these are the wrap-up points, okay? We talked about the servants in the story. Listen, church. Jesus is looking for followers, not fans. Are you a follower this morning? Or are you a fan? When things are going your way, you're all right. You'll come to church, you'll sing your songs, you'll clap your hands, you'll even raise your hands, you know, and all of that. 
you will volunteer to stand at the door, welcome people in. But when times are tough, what happens? Why you do this to me, God? Why, why, God? Oh, I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like reading my Bible. God is looking for, Jesus is looking for followers, not fans. If you're a follower of Jesus, you will follow. Even when the going gets tough, you will follow. Even when the going gets tough. Because that's what a follower does. Let me tell you this. Mark Patterson said this, and I remember this very clearly. We are not called, we are not saved to be safe. We are saved to be dangerous. That's what the church is for. The calling of a Christian is to step out of hellfire. Yes, you're saved, but you step into danger around us because suddenly you become an enemy of the world. You become the enemy of the God of this world. You become an enemy. And so you become a target. And then what happens? Would you still be a follower? Or would you say, I admire Jesus. I'm a fan. Hey, but no, I'm not going to rock the boat. The second segment we saw was the sinner in the story. The servants in the story, now the sinners, sinner in the story. If you are, if you're not a Christian this morning, if you've not given your life to Jesus, I want you to know this, and I'll tell you again, that God has a plan for you. And pursuing that plan will be the most fulfilling thing you ever do. Pursuing that plan would be the most fulfilling thing you ever do. If you're a Christian, whether you're seated here or at home, if you find your life unfulfilled, if you find your life, if people ask you, how, how are you? And you go, meaning to say that your life isn't fulfilled at all. If it's fulfilled, you'll be living on the edge and you'll be full of excitement and enthusiasm. May I suggest it's because you have not pursued the plan of God over your life. Because pursuing that plan is the most fulfilling thing you could ever do. And then we ended with focusing on the saviour in the story. All right? The saviour in the story. Jesus is coming again. He is coming again. Question is, are you ready for him? Are you ready for him? He doesn't tell us when he's coming. All he tells us is this, that his coming will be sudden. It will be sudden. It will be like a thief in the night. A thief doesn't call you and tell you, Flora, I'm coming next Tuesday, huh? 11.30, please go and sleep early, huh? So I can come in and leave the door unlocked if you don't mind. No thief will do that. A thief comes when you least expect him to. So his coming will be sudden. But you know what? His coming will be certain. It's not just sudden, but it is certain. Are we ready for him? 
if you're not if you have not given your life to Jesus what would you say when Jesus does come and you get caught up what would you say I didn't know you can't say that because today you know today you know so what are you going to do about the Savior in the story what are you going to do about the Savior in the story be ready came to save he's going to come back and this time he will come to judge he came for all the first time but he will return for his elect I'm looking forward to that day are you